Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning. Welcome to our weekly Sunday worship service. My name is Cal, and thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Now, if you're watching for the very first time, or if you don't yet consider Ebenezer to be your spiritual church home, then I want to especially welcome you. And I hope you take time to connect with us so that we can get to know you better. This morning, we continue in our New Year's sermon series, My House, A House of Prayer. What a great and necessary way to begin the new year not just on the teaching and the practice of prayer, which is always necessary, but a reminder that we, the church, are not defined only by our gatherings, like the ones we would usually have on a Sunday morning or our ministries throughout the week. In fact, we need to grow beyond that gathered-only mindset and practice if we are going to truly be the church that God desires and, and calls us to be. Now, over the past 10 months or so, we've been limited in our ability to gather, and many of us have become more and more disconnected from the Ebenezer Church family. But there's actually been opportunity to reconnect with the full heart of the church and to be the church in a time when the church, the people of God, are desperately needed, gathered and scattered. Now, I don't want to take a long time to review, but I'll just simply say a couple of things. Pastor Layton got us started two weeks ago on this series, My House, A House of Prayer, with an emphasis on those two key words, my house. And that you, if you have received Jesus, uh, or, well, Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God's free gift of salvation in Christ, and if you've committed your life to living for Him, you are now God's house. Let me repeat that. You are God's house. It's an amazing truth. Last week, Pastor Kelly walked us through Jesus' teaching on uh, prayer in Matthew, in what is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer, but perhaps it's better to call the Disciples' Prayer, which teaches us prayer essentials and serves as a model and a pattern for us to follow. So my house, a house of prayer, God's house, is really anyone who considers themselves Christ's followers. And my house, a house of prayer, begins when each of us, takes the time to make a commitment to become individuals of prayer, to become a family or a smaller community of prayer, and then to become a local church body of prayer. Now, this morning, we're going to continue our series by looking at Luke chapter 11. Now here, we also find Jesus teaching his disciples on prayer. And our focus today will be on verses 5 to 10 of Luke chapter 11. If you have your Bibles at home with you, take it out and find the passage. Follow along as I read it for you, or you can even have one of your family members read it out loud. But I'll read it for us right now. But again, take time to consider one of those other options as well. Luke 11, verses 5 to 10. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the, other, the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, 
even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Now in this passage we see the disciples, after watching and hearing Jesus pray, were likely so captivated by Jesus' intense intimacy with God the Father that they make this request of Him found in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. They ask Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught His disciples. And so Jesus gives them this model or pattern of prayer very similar to how He taught them as recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, as Jesus continues teaching His disciples about prayer, He shares with them and with us this kind of mini parable that gives us two absolutely key and necessary principles when it comes to prayer. And it is these two principles that we want to examine and more importantly incorporate into our own prayer life as my house or your house becomes a true house of prayer. Now if you, like me, find it difficult to be as committed and even to be as passionate about prayer as you know or I know we ought to be, then let's consider these two principles and I trust that they will help you grow in your prayer life. The two key principles I want to share with you today come from two different ways in which we might interpret two key words in this story. Now, parables by nature are, are rich in spiritual allegory and parallels and symbolism. And while we need to understand Jesus used parallels to show one, sometimes two main thoughts, there are often key truths found throughout a parable. Now, in this case, our attention won't be to determine what that one main thought is. Rather, to look at two truths that Jesus reveals in this parable to us in the context of teaching His disciples about prayer. Now, Jesus' parable speaks about a man who has received an unexpected visitor in the middle of the night. Not having any food, this man goes to his neighbor and asks for three loaves of bread. As it is the middle of the night, this man, likely his family and even his animals, are all sound asleep. So in our perspective, it's really inconvenient to be awakened with this request. I know what I would say, but can it wait till morning? I'm sleeping already. My family is sleeping already. You're going to wake the animals. The neighbor pretty much responds the same way in Jesus' parable. However, it seems that the man continues to knock, maybe even pound on the door with this, with this request. And it also seems like the neighbor finally gives in, gets out of bed, and gives the man the requested loaves of bread. But this almost sounds like the neighbor is doing so out of resignation, or simply to get this man off his back and, and to, so he can go back to bed and to keep him from waking his household. But if that's how we're to interpret this, doesn't it seem kind of negative? It doesn't seem like a very positive understanding of prayer, does it? If we just keep bugging God, eventually God will give in to your wants and your desires and give you whatever it is that you're bugging Him for. It, it almost sounds like spoiled children, doesn't it? Now, the two words we need to center in on are the words that the New International Version, which I just read for us, translates as shameless audacity. However, as mentioned, 
How we understand this phrase will determine the two ways that we can better understand this parable. Now, the Greek that is translated into shameless audacity is the Greek word anideia. And this is the only time it is used in Scripture and in the New Testament, making it even more difficult to understand what is really meant here. So, what are our two key principles that we need to center in on if we're going to grow and mature in our prayer walk and prayer life? Let's look at the first. In other English translations, anideia is translated as boldness or persistence or shameless persistence and impudence. But the key is that they all focus on the man's dedication, the one who's knocking on his neighbor's door, and determination to get the needed bread from his neighbor. Now, if we track with this understanding of an idea, the first principle or truth that Jesus teaches us regarding prayer is that we need to be persistent in our prayers. We need to have that, you know, that stick-to-itiveness that we often lack in prayer, and I would even suggest we often, act in, uh, we often lack in life. We live in this instant society, don't we? And our expectations of having our wants and our desires met pretty much instantaneously, I believe, have permeated our prayer life. See, there was a time, and I would suggest not that long ago, a generation when things simply took longer, and people understood that. But let's look at the things that we have today. For instance, here I have instant hash browns. Here's a container of instant mashed potatoes. And of course, whoops, the variety of instant noodles or instant ramen. And I think one of the top selling Christmas items over the last couple of years, and maybe you have one of these at home, is the instant pot. Now, how many of you have these items or similar items in your home? But that's not the only area where we expect things instantly. Our internet needs to be faster and faster so our music or our videos can upload or download quicker. Our computers need faster processors to keep up with the increasing use and demand of work and play. A part of why we're so attracted and even addicted to our phones is because we feel we can respond and request things quicker, almost instantaneously and have the information and have the ability to communicate with others right at our fingertips. I remember back just over 20 years ago leading a short-term mission, uh, mission team, a youth mission team, and we were designing t-shirts and one of the team members sent me five, just five, JPEG images of proposed designs for these t-shirts and sent them to me over the internet. Well, in those days, with only dial-up internet, those five relatively small images took almost an hour and a half to download. And if you remember internet in those days, no one could use the phone while I waited for the images to download. But you understand my point, right? We're not conditioned to wait anymore. That classic rock group Queen might have been almost prophetic when they wrote and released in 1989 their hit song, I Want It All, which included the line, now sing, along, sing it along at home if you know it, I want it all, I want it all, I want it all, and I want it now. Because our tendency today is to want what we want as soon as we want, we've lost the value of persistence. We're so focused on getting to the end, the end results or the end product that we wanted, we don't 
embrace the journey. And it is in the journey that sometimes the value is found. It's how we get there, not just where we go. I, I, are we there yet? Is the bane of every young parent's long road trip. Now, I believe this is true when it comes to prayer as well. I know for myself the times that I find myself praying the least or the times that I'm most discouraged about prayer is when I don't see the results that I long for or the results that I've been praying for. Now, I realize I'm not the one to determine the outcome of situations that I pray for, but there are times, and I would even say many times, when I'm just not sure that God is listening, listening very much, even acting on my prayers. But when my focus is on the outcome or the results or the product, I lose track of the journey or the process. Now, here's how I would express it when it comes to prayer. It's not the product of prayer that is to be primary. It's the process and what the process produces that needs to be primary. Now, there are lots of things that pers persistence produces in life and in prayer. But for now, let me just quickly name and describe three things I believe are needed in our prayer lives. First, persistence in prayer produces patience. Patience in prayer is the ability to simply wait upon what we might want and allow God to show us what He wants and His desire and His will, and just as importantly, what His time is. To me, patience and faith are inextricably linked as we learn to trust God and put our prayers in His hands. Years ago, I heard a definition of faith that still continues to resound deeply with me. The speaker described faith this way. He said, faith is seeking the will of God, doing it, and here's the key, leaving the results up to Him. And that includes the timing of those results. It's about patience. Persistence in prayer produces patience, which in turn helps us to grow in our faith. And as Hebrew says, without faith, it is impossible to please God because everyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Persistence in prayer produces patience. Second, persistence in prayer produces priorities. When we have to wait for something, we begin to put that thing, whatever it might be, in a better place relative to other things in our lives. When we ask or even demand something and we want it immediately, the place and even the value of that request can be simply overblown. How often have you wanted something badly, but having not received it immediately, realized it really wasn't that important at all? Retailers arrange their stores strategically based on this and trust that our natural impulse, uh, that these impulsive shopping tendencies will lead to greater profits for them. They capitalize on our lack of patience and our lack of priorities. And so they put things that they think that will be impulse buys close to the till, so we'll grab them on our way out. Now, in our faith journey, priorities then tie into what I would suggest is our submission to God as our Master and Lord. You see, God is not our cosmic puppet to do our bidding. Rather, He is God, and we are called to follow in obedience to Him. 
priorities help us determine whether we're fully engaged in His will or in ours. Samuel Chadwick said, Prayer is the acid test of devotion. Persistence in prayer produces priorities, which in turn help us to submit fully to Him. What did Jesus say? Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Persistence in prayer produces priorities. Third, persistence in prayer actually produces power. When we want things or results immediately and we don't get them, our tendency then is to try to get those results in our own strength. But when we persist, when we begin to realize that it is God who has the ultimate power and, what, and realize that what greater power or even better power is there? You know, those of you who play video games, you know that in many video games, you can get that power boost once in a while. But often you need to wait until your power meter or whatever is full before you can access that power. If you try to access that power boost sooner, you won't get the boost that you need. And often then you have to wait even longer for it to recharge or to refill or whatever it may be. James says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Persistence in prayer produces power. See, often God's desire is that we learn in the process, not just in the final product. There are things that we need to grow in that only the process can teach us. This is my wedding ring. Let me just hold it up here for us. See. Now, it represents the vows of love that Michelle and I committed to almost 29 years ago. But today, this ring, for me anyway, represents something else. Not, not something as meaningful as our marriage commitment and our marriage vow, but something else that for me has been important. Like many people, several years after we got married, I started to put on some extra weight. And slowly but surely, this ring got tighter and tighter around my finger until I couldn't wear it anymore. On our 10th anniversary, Michelle got me another ring, which was uh, intended to be worn on my right hand, so it was a little bit bigger, but that was the ring I ended up wearing on my left hand for many years. About two years ago, I decided I needed to take my health and my fitness more seriously. I joined a gym and became more aware of what I was eating. Now, did I lose the pounds right away? Did I see instant or immediate results? No. A little bit here and there but it waved up and down a little bit. Sometimes I felt like I was making progress and other times I didn't, but I didn't see instant results. However, over time, with dedication, with discipline, and yes, with persistence, the weight began to come off. I first noticed the changes when I was putting on a pair of dress pants to get ready for a Sunday service when, back when we could meet in person, and I tightened the belt and realized that I could tighten it another notch. My clothes became baggier. I was jumping higher in my volleyball league, in my men's volleyball league. In fact, when we had in-person services back in the fall, just a few months ago, one of our church family, I won't say who, <coughs> Walter Neufeld, came in one Sunday and asked, Oh, Cal, have you lost some weight? Well, yes, I have. Thank you very much. Now this ring, which I hadn't been able to wear for many, many years, fits again. 
but the process also helped me to change other things. My eating habits, as mentioned, my sleeping patterns, my work and rest rhythms have all improved because of the process. Persistence in the process gave me these benefits in addition to my goal of losing weight and the improvement in my overall health. So, with this understanding of anadea, we see that persistence in prayer is necessary because persistence in prayer produces patience, priorities, and power. But there's another way to understand this term, anadea, and its focus is not on the so-called shameless persistence of the man asking his neighbor for bread. Now, once again, because this word is only used once in Scripture, it's, it's difficult to understand and to interpret. But if you consider other ancient writings, this term, anidea, is, is always used as a negative concept that is better translated as shamelessness or even disgrace rather than persistence. And in Lou's case, it most likely ties the shamelessness and the disgrace with the neighbor being asked to give the bread, not to the man asking for the bread. In Middle Eastern cultures, if someone, especially someone in that same community, came to your door in the middle of the night with this type of request, and since the neighbor has what the man needs, it would be unthinkable for the neighbor to not get up, even at the risk of waking his family, and give it to him. To not meet the man's request would have brought greater shame, or would have brought great shame to the neighbor, not to the man knocking on the door. Now, this mini parable indicates that the man only makes a request of his neighbor once. After that, the cultural assumption would be that the social pressure would have gotten that neighbor out of bed, grumpy as he probably would have been, to give the man the bread that he had and that the man needed. You see, if the neighbor didn't get up and give the bread, the water cooler talk the next day would not have been about the audaciousness of the man waking the neighbor up to ask for bread. Rather, it would, been, it would have been about the neighbor who refused to get up to meet the needs of this man. Now, with this understanding of an idea, the main principle of Jesus' parable then is what I'm calling the person of prayer. If this neighbor grumpy and grouchy at being awakened in the middle of the night, is willing to meet the needs of this man, how much more will God, who loves us, cares for us, and longs to meet us in our time of need, be willing to listen and to respond to our prayers? Just last week, we were reminded that God is our loving Father. We pray, our Father in heaven, as a child would come to their dad, and here we see how eager our loving Heavenly Father is to respond to our prayers. Now, theologically, this is called the lesser to greater argument. If a grumpy neighbor will get out of bed to give this man bread, then how much more will God, who absolutely loves you, respond to your requests, respond to our requests? Jesus uses this lesser to greater argument again in his teaching on prayer in just a few verses down when he says in Luke chapter 11 verse 13, if you then, though you know, uh, sorry, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus directs our attention to the person of prayer, God himself, and his longing to meet us in our prayers. 
You see, our prayers are not primarily effective because of our human effort or even our human persistence. They're effective because of who God is. Professor of Theology John McKinley put it this way. He says, The emphasis on God is commonly eclipsed by the interpretation that prayer requires human persistence. That was the primary change for me, to see God differently as a loving Father, eager and willing to give everything that is truly good and needed. An idea draws us to the person of prayer, our loving, gracious, and compassionate Heavenly Father. So two absolutely key principles regarding prayer. Persistence in prayer and the person of prayer. Persist in prayer, not simply for the end result, but for what the process of persistence can produce. Patience, priorities, power. Now let me suggest a simple way maybe you can grow in this. If you don't already, keep a journal of the things that you're praying for and that the things that you're praying about. And every day bring those things before the Lord. Then record what you hear from God. Our Hearing God seminar can actually help you in this. And then regularly take time to look back in your journal and see where God has responded, not only to the specific uh, requests and look for the results, but also consider what you've heard from Him and what you've learned in the journey and how you've grown over that period of time. Persist. And then consider the person of prayer, God Himself. Continue to grow in your knowledge, your love, and your obedience to Him. Dive deeply into Scripture. Look for God's presence and work all around you. Discuss with others. Walk life together with other believers in small community, learning to be mindful of God's presence and power, which is always at work around us. See Him for who He truly is. To finish McKinley's thought, he said this about his prayer life. There was a change in how I understand prayer as a simple ask for what you need appeal to God. By contrast to a a tug of war that must be engaged with God before he is willing to dispense a thing that we have repeatedly appealed for. These, uh, These are different views of God and prayer that motivate me to pray more, though with less repetition, since I am no longer nagging him to give what I need. My house, your house, our house, a house of prayer. Let me just close us with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift and the power of prayer to think that we can come before you, Almighty God, with boldness and confidence and know that you receive us in your presence because of what your Son Jesus Christ did on the cross on our behalf to enter your very throne room and know that we can pour out our hearts before you. And Father, I pray that as we reflect upon these two key principles of prayer, to persist in our prayer and to recognize the person of prayer, you, God Almighty, that we would grow in our dedication, our commitment, and our passion to pray. Father, guide us so that we individually, in in our family units or with a few other believers or even corporately together as Ebenezer Baptist Church, we would grow to truly become a house of prayer. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you and thanks for listening. Thank you.